This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Friday, August 4th. I'm Julia Caulfield. And I'm Gavin McGough. In today's headlines, staying bare aware. A glimpse of housing to come. Say goodbye to the double basement. And a mountain weather forecast. The bears are back in town. Over the last couple of weeks, we have seen more bear activity um, in more um, urban places uh, where there's more human activity. That's John Livingston, public information officer for Colorado Parks and Wildlife. Locally, bears have been getting into residential trash, dumpsters, and cars. Which is something in Colorado we see every year. Um, you know, bears are always, they have a great sense of smell. Um, and they can find food uh, no matter where it is. And a lot of times um, those sources will uh, bring bears you know, to your home, but also to your vehicles. As such, CPW is once again spreading the gospel of staying bear aware. Livingston says the key is securing attractants. And that can be different depending on what kind of property we're talking about. For chicken coops or beehives, it means having good fencing. Trash cans should be locked and only brought out on trash pickup day. Windows on the ground level should stay closed. Same thing with cars. Roll up your windows, lock your car doors. Um, You know, a bear can pretty easily figure out how to open a car door. And we've seen that a few times uh, with some paw prints. We've noticed um, uh, car doors uh, within Mountain Village of, you know, bears are, uh, you know, getting their paws up there, opening up those car doors and checking out what's inside. Livingston notes keeping attractants locked up helps protect your property but it's also better for the bear. We don't want to have to relocate a bear that's getting too used to coming to a home and looking for that food source all the time. You know, we also want to remind people it's okay to haze bears away from your house. You know, yell. Uh, If you notice a bear around your car, if you can set off your car alarm or, you know, honk the horn a few times if if you're, you know, locking um, from your key fob, uh, do things that make that bear feel like that's not a welcome place for them to be. Um, And they'll remember that as well um, and, you know, hopefully not come back. He adds it's up to humans to take precautions. It can be so heartbreaking for our officers sometimes, too, when they've encountered this bear multiple times and they're like, if the humans were to just fix their behaviors that we kept telling them to fix, we didn't have to have ever dealt with this bear again. And instead, we're dealing with it for the you know second or third time. And it's just uh, those things can be really uh, heart wrenching for our officers. So to stay bear aware, protect your property and the safety of the bear, lock your trash cans and car doors, don't leave things that smell tasty outside and close your windows. Um, so it's full kitchen, which, um, you know, in some of our efficiencies, we do more of a European style, but this is... Projected onto the wall of the Wilkinson Library program room is an interactive mock-up of an airy, tidy pedatier. We're getting a tour from the design team behind Telluride's latest affordable housing project. The new buildings will be located at the entrance of town, just east of Clark's Market, on the Canyonlands and Tower House parcels, two lots purchased by the town over the last five years. Tonight, designers and town staff are holding an open house to introduce the project and welcome public feedback. One attendee, Amy Levick, is already well informed just a few minutes into the event. She points out this project differs from earlier town efforts. I think it's exciting. I mean, the idea of a public-private partnership and the idea of having 
um, 35 to 45 new new units, um, some of which will be public and some of which some of which will be private. Uh, it's an interesting model, and I'm glad the town's considering it. As she notes, the units will be largely deed restricted workforce housing, but some will also be sold on the free market to help the project break even. Levick also notes the project is a public-private partnership. Telluride's first. A PPP, as it's known in housing lingo, offloads the work of development and design onto a third-party company. Town officials are often intimately involved with questions of design, landscaping, construction, and so on. But in this case, a real estate development firm is taking on that role, and town council is taking a back seat. Councilmember Adrian Christie was in attendance at the open house and confirmed the PPP process feels different. My experience has been very different with this because um, we have taken all of that work that we typically do as volunteer town council people, essentially, um, and passed the torch to another organization. So it's been, in terms of the town council workload, like significantly less, almost zero compared to some of our other projects. Looking around the room at the array of panels, scale drawings, and town maps, Christy adds, You know, we're, we're, gonna, we're sort of in it with the community, which is also kind of a cool and interesting experience for us. If town officials are doing less of the work for this particular project, it's Servitas LLC, a real estate development firm, which is taking the reins. Servitas signed on to the project this spring. The firm got its start building college dorms, and is partnering with various architects for the design phase, including the landscape planning firm Norris. At the open house, designers stressed the project was at its very beginning. Kate Berg, an architect with Norris, says the evening is an opportunity to make an introduction. We want to make sure people know what's happening, know what their opportunities are going to be to provide input, um, and then we'd like to just gather some initial thoughts and feedback to help us shape a development proposal. But super preliminary at this point. With weeks of design work ahead of her, Berg says the challenge will be maximizing units while blending with town's character. I think it's just going to be striking the right balance between, you know, maximizing the number of housing units while still being compatible and having the right feel, the right architecture, the right bulk and mass, not putting too much on the site to where it's out of character. Come September, Servitas will file its development application with the Planning and Zoning Commission. At that point, just what exactly this new housing could look like will come into view. Double basements are a thing of the past in Telluride. Right now we have six projects with double basements under construction in town. Five of those are in the historic district. Four of them are under historic graded structures. And going back more than two or three years into the applications, I didn't come across any. So this appears to be a new trend. So um, it appears that we're kind of at the forefront of addressing it. That's John Wenzel, Historic Preservation Director for the town of Telluride, speaking at a town council meeting on Tuesday. You know, we, we always look to other communities, uh, what the trends are, or maybe. And we talked a lot about Aspen because... Um, they limited 
basements to no more than 15 feet deep after a 40 foot deep basement was approved there back in 2015. You remember the basketball court <laughs> example? It was actually a basketball court, swimming pool, et cetera, et cetera. So big picture is that we're trying to prevent something like that from happening. This week, town council unanimously voted to amend its land use code on first reading to clarify development guidelines and help developments fit within the aesthetic and feel of the town. Based on input from the Historic and Architectural Review Commission and the Planning and Zoning Commission, Wenzel says they identified six goals to amend the code. Eliminating double basements, simplifying rules for bonus site coverage, aligning Hark scale with floor area, reducing the visual impacts of three- and four-story structures on hillsides, retaining the look and feel of Telluride's traditional mass and scale on hillsides, and limiting environmental impacts of demolition and new construction. She notes some of the goals will be achieved through amendments to the land use code, others through design guidelines and implementation of the climate action plan. When it comes to double basements, Wenzel says the land use code will differentiate between steep lots, those with a 25% slope or greater, and less steep lots, those under 25% slope. On the less steep lots, we're proposing that in those residential type zone districts, on um, lots of less than 25% of the site coverage, that structures, residential and accessory or secondary structures, would contain no more than one floor level that is below the post-construction grade low point. And that the finished floor of the basement shall be no more than 12 feet. On steeper slopes, primarily on the hillside, Wenzel says a similar principle will apply. Residential and accessory or secondary structures shall contain no floor levels that are below the post-construction grade low point. By definition, we may have two or three levels here that are actually basements, but um, again, to minimize impacts and time of construction, everyone agreed on the boards that this lower level seemed unnecessary. Wenzel says they've also added language in the design guidelines to minimize visual impact on the hillside. Number one in these new design guidelines would uh, be about mass scale and form. Um, again, using forms that reinforce the perception of the topography and limiting the width of a facade to no more than 30 feet without a, a break in the facade through materials or um, a change in wall planes. This is typical in all of the other uh, treatment areas and the design guidelines, but again, this um, helps emphasize the expectations on the hillside specifically. The new guidelines also place rules around roofing and building materials. And then finally, on number four, we added a section about landscaping and grading. Um, this, again, is to minimize the visual impacts of, um, of construction on these steep slopes. A lot of the projects we're seeing the applicants are desiring terracing on the hillsides to create flat areas for yards and hot tubs and patios, et cetera, which are wonderful amenities, but really um, take away from the natural appearance of the hillside. Mark Shambaugh, chair of the Hark Board, says he's pleased with the outcome of the amendments. I think it gave us 
our board more teeth, more tools, and clarity um, in adjudicating um, than we had before. And it makes staffs work easier. And frankly, the applicants are going to be a lot more clear in coming in and not waste our time with things that, I mean, because they're going to have to follow this, that, that aren't even close to compliance. Um, I think it's one of the best efforts I've seen in my years by staff and both boards to achieve the result, the desired result in the time frame. Earlier this year, the town of Telluride placed a moratorium on certain types of development applications to give time to make changes to the land use code. The moratorium will be lifted either when town council passes the amendments on second reading or when the moratorium sunsets at the end of September. The Cornet Falls Trail is currently closed and will remain closed for the foreseeable future. According to town of Telluride officials, there was a large natural rockfall in the area that impacted the trail and surrounding area. The Cornet Falls area is now under evaluation to determine the cause of the rockfall and future potential safety hazards. Officials ask all residents and visitors to respect the closure and stay clear. The Judd Weeby Trail remains open. The town of Mountain Village has begun accepting applications for its annual community grant program this week. The aim of the grant is to support programs in Mountain Village that foster a healthy community. Town officials point to services that promote health, education, athletics, arts and culture, and environment. According to Mountain Village, applicants should show how a proposed program makes significant, measurable, and direct service to Mountain Village residents, businesses, guests, and employees, and supports year-round economic vitality in Mountain Village. The Telluride Foundation administers the application on behalf of the Town of Mountain Village. Applications are available at townofmountainvillage.com grants. Applications opened on August 4th. The deadline to apply is 5 p.m. on Friday, September 1st. Only a fraction of kids will have access to full-day classes under the state's new universal preschool program. The program set out to provide 30 hours of free preschool per week to children with the highest needs, or about half of Colorado four-year-olds. Now state education officials say they only have funding for about 13%. Carrie Kennedy is with the Colorado Association of Family Child Care. She said announcing this change right before school starts is putting families in a difficult position. Families did not realize this. Families did not have plans in place. Literally, schools are starting next week, this week. I think it's the families that are hurting and the kids that are hurting right now. Kennedy said preschool providers are also scrambling to change their plans. Full-time preschool will only be available to kids from low-income families who also have a second learning barrier, like limited English skills or a special education plan. Families can still access 15 hours of free preschool under the program. The lack of funding is partly because more families have signed up to participate than officials expected. A group dedicated to protecting water sources on Black Mesa, Arizona, have filed resolutions from 18 different Navajo chapter houses 
to a federal agency in opposition to proposed plumbed water storage projects. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, Chris Clements of KSJD has more. Tonajonene, or Sacred Water Speaks, is a Navajo Nation nonprofit that works to protect water sources on Black Mesa from misuse and contamination by energy companies. Adrian Herder, a campaign lead for Sacred Water Speaks, says that his organization has submitted resolutions to the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission opposing the three Black Mesa projects. One of them, it was mentioned, was the Black Mesa groundwater. And that again, that's a huge concern because a lot of us on Black Mesa Um, pretty much anywhere on Navajo as well, we also rely on groundwater. The projects, which are being proposed by the hydropower company Nature and People First, would generate electricity from the flow of water down to newly constructed reservoirs below Black Mesa. Herder says the projects would likely divert groundwater on Black Mesa for use in its reservoirs. For KSJD, I'm Chris Clements. The longest-running newspaper in Moab, Utah, is entering a new era as it transitions to a nonprofit in partnership with the Salt Lake Tribune. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, Molly Marcello of KZMU reports. For over 125 years, Moab's had a record. A newspaper documenting it all. Livestock markets, the uranium boom, the uranium bust, high school sports wins, death notices, public officials, scandals, triumphs. The real live history of Moab, written down by the Times Independent. And this summer, this weekly newspaper serving southeastern Utah for generations made some history of their own. They became a nonprofit under the umbrella of the Salt Lake Tribune. Image areas get covered with water so the ink won't stick to it. And the image areas pick up the ink, transfer that to the rubber blanket. Zane Taylor has served as publisher of the Times Independent for years. He's also its pressman. Every single Wednesday, he prints the paper from the back room of the TI's Center Street offices. Taylor has literally done things like setting plates and checking color registration hundreds of times over two and a half decades. But he still encounters new things. Some odd thing happened in the folder yesterday that I'd never seen. You know, and there's ghosts in this building, too. Are you kidding me? I'm working on appeasing the spirits that haven't left the room. Ghosts are relevant here because a lot of people, many of them Taylor's own family members, have spent a great deal of time in this building in Moab's downtown, spilling, sometimes literally, their own blood, sweat, and tears to make this place hum. Taylor, like his father before him and his father before him, have been getting the paper out now for generations. And Taylor has been worried. Not about the press itself. Oh, it's great. They run all day long for 100 years. But he wasn't so sure about the paper running for the next 100 years. Taylor has watched revenue streams dwindle as the cost of production rises. And he says no one in the family's next generation wanted to take on these mounting challenges. He couldn't see a pathway forward to keep the Times independent. Well, independent. Until recently. I had a feeling that something that was unpredictable would happen. (laughs) I would have been quite certain that something other would happen. Maybe something bad, something volatile. This donation of the Times Independent to the Salt Lake Tribune, also unpredictable. But to Taylor, something good. Looking down the gut of something very different for a long time, this is a, 
a very happy story. It's a, an exciting new path for the newspaper. It's a path more and more media outlets are choosing to become a nonprofit. And now there's even a few examples of what's happening right here in Moab. A nonprofit media outlet acquiring a for-profit under their 501c3 umbrella. Last year, the parent nonprofit of public radio station WBEZ acquired the Chicago Sun-Times. And just this week, the largest newspaper group in Maine is now a nonprofit under a Colorado-based media organization. I've grown up in an era when the talk about newspapers and journalism was always in the form of decline. Sophia Fisher, reporter at the Times Independent. Although the Salt Lake Tribune will handle advertising and circulation and administration, Fisher and editor Doug McMurdo will retain editorial control. Both of them seem cautiously optimistic about these changes. I've never known an optimistic side to the industry until I learned about the new nonprofit model a couple of years ago. And I think we have seen more and more newspapers uh, move to that model across the country, which is really exciting. And I think it's not without its challenges and it's important to take the step very seriously. But I'm certainly thrilled. Um, what we do is important. Editor McMurdo. So how, however we deliver information, uh, as long as that continues effectively and uh, people uh, keep edifying themselves with that information, then um, I'll feel okay. It's not a guarantee of success when a news organization turns from for-profit to non-profit. Any nonprofit still needs to figure out how to bring in diverse revenue to become sustainable. But that's a problem more news outlets are willing to take on. A lot of them are in a tough position. One, the Salt Lake Tribune faced in the mid-2010s. That's when the Trib was operating at a loss. They had severely reduced their staff and scaled back on their local reporting. Like the Times Independent, they saw nonprofit status as a way forward, one that would recognize local news as a public good and open the pathway to receive donations and grants. And when we received that paper from the IRS that said we were a nonprofit, we were the first of our kind to make that transition. Lauren Gustis, executive editor of the Salt Lake Tribune. She says when they got that status, Trib staff began fulfilling their mission to lift up journalism in Utah. They started the Utah News Collaborative, where other news outlets could share stories. And they started asking Utah's news organizations what they needed. Taylor, here on Moab, responded. And Zane said, if we don't do something, this is in a response to a survey, if we don't do something, a lot of the independent news in Utah is at risk. Right? And so we followed up, and that's where the conversation started. At a recent open house at the Times Independent, Gustus explained to a packed room of Moab locals what this transition for their oldest newspaper will look like. The Trib will make the Times Independent free online, and the print edition will also be sent at no charge to anyone with an 84532 zip code. This will give the paper a much wider reach, attractive for advertisers, and they can now take donations. I think we approach things differently in that we are owned by the community. We are vested in the community's success. Gustus from the Tribune again. The Trib literally wrote a playbook for news organizations considering this transition to nonprofit status. I hope that it's a model here in Utah, right? There are still many communities that don't have the relatively robust offering that Moab does. When you look at radio, newspapers, um, you know, you've got 
some sources here that counties that are significantly larger than you don't. News deserts, that might continue to be a problem, even in this new world of nonprofit news. Some argue that the philanthropic model only works when there's wealth in a community, and it could still leave poorer areas out. But in Utah, even wealthier counties have news gaps. Davis County, home to the Speaker of the House, the President of the Senate, the Great Salt Lake, and a school district that's being investigated by the federal government for racism, right? There's no daily source of local news in Davis County. I've never felt more mission and purpose than in Utah because there is so little local journalism and because the power dynamics here are such that there's so much opportunity to uncover stories that need to be told. Back at the press, it's all smiles from Taylor. His family's era at the Times Independent could have ended differently, something that he is acutely aware of. Farewell messages might have been bitter instead of bittersweet. He calls this new opportunity. Great news for Moab. This is really, really good. Taylor will serve on the Times Independent's new advisory board, but he'll hang up his ink and rollers as its pressman. He only has a few more weeks with these machines. The paper will soon be printed in northern Utah, and Moab's local press will go idle. I ask him if he'll miss it, running the press. No, I'll have it in my dreams, I'm sure. (laughs) And by then, he may even be on vacation for the first time in decades on a Wednesday. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for mostly clear skies tonight with a low around 45 degrees. Saturday should be sunny during the day and clear at night. The high is around 80 with a low in the mid-40s. Sunday expect sunny skies with a high around 80 degrees. Sunday night should be mostly clear with a low around 45. This has been the news for Friday, August 4th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, Call the news team at 970-728-3206.